Hello everyone, Dr. David Perlmutter here. Today I'm going to have the uh, great pleasure of uh, introducing to you Dr. Terry Walls. Uh, Dr. Walls is really an amazing individual and I think you're going to certainly uh, have a great experience when you hear the story that she has to tell. But first, let me say she's a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa and a staff physician at the Iowa City Vo uh, Veterans Affairs Hospital where she's involved in teaching medical students and also the residents. Uh, she sees patients with a variety of issues, uh, traumatic brain injury, as well as complex chronic health co uh, conditions that often include uh, autoimmune conditions, and we're going to learn quite a bit about that. Uh, she's involved in conducting clinical trials, but beyond that, Dr. Walls is actually a patient with a chronic progressive neurological disorder uh, called secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, or MS. Uh, understand this confined her to a, a re reclining wheelchair for four years. Uh, she's had a dramatic recovery that she is going to describe. You can read about that in her book, The Walls Protocol, uh, in which she talks about how she upregulated or turned on the function of the mitochondria, the energy producers in each and every uh, neuron of the brain and the spinal cord, really throughout the body, and also how this book relates to autoimmune conditions. So uh, we're in for some real incredible, uh, really incredible information. So let's get right to our interview. So here we are getting to talk to Dr. Terry Walls. This is a really uh, exciting interview uh, for me. I've been looking for, uh, forward to this for quite some time. Uh, Terry, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. So you've got a really interesting story, and uh, we've talked about things over the, over the years, and uh, it's really a remarkable story. In the introduction, I, I kind of alluded to the fact that not only are you a top-notch physician and practicing functional medicine, but in addition, you had your own uh, health issue and perhaps still ongoing. And maybe tell us about how things were and then how they changed. So, you know, back in 2000, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. You know, and at that time, David, I was still physically active. I could cross-country ski. Uh, I could jog a bit. Uh, but I started having some trouble, weakness with my left leg. Uh, and uh, went through a big workup, uh, got the diagnosis, uh, and uh, decided to treat my disease aggressively. Um, but within three years, uh, things had... Uh, not done well, and I had converted to the progressive form of the illness, uh, and soon needed a sort of climb wheelchair. So things so got you treated difficult. your disease aggressively. You were pretty much doing uh, what your mainstream doctors were telling you to do. Oh, absolutely! You know, absolutely. You I a was a uh, academic uh, internal medicine doc, and so I believed in the best technology, the newest drugs, and so I uh, sought out you know the best. Uh, clinical Research Center uh, in the Midwest, which was the Cleveland Clinic, saw their best people took the newest drugs, and which uh, did not slow the decline. You were just in a, in a tailspin. You end up in a wheelchair. And then uh, you know, I, and I became so weak, David, I could not sit up in a regular chair as I am now. I needed to have a zero-gravity chair, which let me recline back, knees uh, higher than my nose, uh, and I worked uh, using a laptop at work, uh, and I had another chair like that that I used at home. So was there a, an epiphany moment, or was your um, 
understanding that there may be another way, uh, kind of a gradual event? You know, it was really a, a gradual event. Um, you know, probably like many docs, when I was first diagnosed, I uh, went to the literature, started reading it. Uh, and of course, I, I was uh, upset pretty quickly uh, when I saw the uh, uh, progressive nature of MS, that within 10 years, one half are unable to work due to severe fatigue, and a third have problems walking. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Jackie convinced me to stop reading, said, all this is doing is getting you upset. Uh, let's just find the best people in the country, go see them, and let them take care of you. Uh, and so that's what we did. To no avail. To no avail. What happened next? Well, um, it, you know, it's an interesting sort of timeline. Uh, Dr. Uh, Lael Stone at the Cleveland Clinic, who I liked a whole lot, uh, saw that I was uh, getting worse. Uh, and in 2002, she mentioned the uh, dash, uh, Dr. Ashton Embry and direct MS charity, uh, said that he had a son with MS that turned around with diet. She recommended that I check out his website, and she emailed the link. And that introduced me to Lauren uh, Cordain and the paleo diet. Uh, and so, you know, after uh, 20 years of being a vegetarian, I um, read about the paleo diet, uh, read his papers, and decided that scientifically this made sense. And so with a lot of prayer and meditation, I went back to eating meat. Uh, but I continued to decline for another five years. So five more years go by. You've five, made yeah. a dietary change. You've welcomed uh, meat back into your diet. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, and now we are five years down the road. What's happening now? Well, um, I'll back you up a little bit, David. Uh, so when I hit the wheelchair in 2003, I uh, decided that I was uh, pretty bummed uh, and I had a sense of how bad things might get for me. Uh, it, it seemed unlikely that the best conventional medicine could stop the decline into a bedridden and quite possibly demented life. And so I decided that the basic scientists in their uh, uh, mouse models and rat models would have the guidelines that would be used to uh, guide clinical care in another 20 or 30 years. So I started reading uh, about uh, the mouse and rat models of shrinking brain diseases, you know, uh, uh, MS, Lou Gehrig's, Alzheimer's, Huntington's. Uh, and I um, would eventually, of course, at first I'm looking for drug studies. And eventually I realized, well, that's worthless. I can't get access to those drugs. And then I have the insight to start looking for vitamin and supplement studies. And I gradually uh, am. Uh, developing the, the theory that mitochondria are a big player in why brains shrink. And so then I start trying to find what can I do to support my mitochondria. And I gradually start taking these vitamin supplement mouse doses, ramp them up to human-sized doses, and I uh, go see my primary care doc and say, yeah, I'd like to start uh, these things. Uh, and she, you know, bless her soul, uh, adds one supplement at a time to my med list and says, well, there's no um, serious side effects, interactions, so why don't you try them one at a time? Uh, and I start them. You know, and, and, oh, I don't know, I think it was six months later, I'm uh, disgusted, nothing has helped, and I think I'm wasting my money, so I quit. 
Uh, and I must have quit on a Friday. I couldn't really get out of bed Saturday, couldn't get out of bed Sunday, couldn't get out of bed Monday. And Monday night, Jackie comes in and says, you know, honey, I think you ought to take your vitamins again. So I take them. And the next morning, I can get up and go to work. And so I think, wow, this is really interesting. Uh, so a couple of weeks later, I, I decide again to stop my uh, supplement cocktail. And again, then, uh, you know, a day and a half later, I can't get out of bed. I'm completely exhausted. Uh, I wait a couple days, start them up again, and I'm again back up and going to work. So now I am very excited. Like, okay, maybe they weren't doing, making me better, but they're clearly doing something for me. And um, now I'm very excited about reading the literature, and I'm beginning to feel like, okay, I'm finding things that my doctors are not telling me about. Uh, and so I feel hopeful for the first time. Well, I think you said a few things already that are really very profound, and that is that you recognize uh, at this stage that MS is a problem with mitochondria. And, and for those of you who are, are watching this video, again, remember the mitochondria are the small organelles, the small parts of the neuron and other cells in the body who uh, have the responsibility of, yes, making energy, uh, using fuel to make energy to power our cells. But beyond that, uh, we know that the mitochondria are actually uh, wielding the sword of Damocles, determining which cell will live or die. So they have a huge role to play in functionality, in this case, as we're hearing with Dr. Walls, in the functionality of the brain cells. And as she, as you've talked about, you ramp up your supplements that are geared at increasing mitochondrial function, you realize significant benefit. Absolutely. Um, and so it's very clear that the speed of my decline is slowing. And of course, uh, keep in mind, David, uh, my neurologist at the Cleveland Clinic, and, and by now it's, it's become too difficult to travel, so I'm just working here at the University of Iowa, and my neurology uh, team here say functions once lost are gone forever. They're, they're, nobody recovers when they hit secondary progressive MS, and I accept that. So I'm just hoping to slow my decline. There's no hope of recovery. Um, but I'm, I'm very cheered now that, in fact, I seem to be slowing the decline. Uh, and I keep reading. I add another supplement uh, here and there. Uh, but the decline is still happening. By the summer of 2007, I'm having you know, severe fatigue. I'm exhausted by 10 in the morning. I'm beginning to have problems with uh, brain fog. I've lost, uh, I have these uh, fancy electronic keys for my car and I've lost them three times. Uh, I've lost my uh, phone uh, three times. Uh, and my chief of staff calls me in to say, you know, Terry, uh, we're going to reassign uh, you so that you'll be in the traumatic brain injury clinic doing primary care for the vets there. You won't have residents, so you'll be doing direct patient care. Uh, and it, well, I need you to finish up what you're doing, so we'll have you start this at the end of January. So I go home and tell Jackie, and, and we both uh, recognize that what the VA is doing is basically saying, you know what, we've redesigned your job uh, enough times for you. It's time for you to come to terms with the fact you're going to have to take medical disability. Uh, so I, I'm uh, depressed, I'm upset, but 
you know, I'm, I'm realizing because of the uh, brain fog, it may well be time. Um, but I, I tell Jack that, well, we'll do this. I'll go off to clinic and either I'll be able to uh, see patients or I won't. And then I'll have to finally file for disability. But of course, everything changes that summer. Now, what was the turning point? Uh, was Did you ramp up your supplements or what was the big deal here? Well, there, there are two big events that happened that summer. The first one um, uh, happened earlier in the summer. I was reviewing an IRB protocol um, for one of Rich Shields' study. And he uses electrical stimulation of muscles in people who have been newly paralyzed uh, with a spinal cord injury. And he does this to maintain muscle mass. He had asked for permission to extend the study because people didn't want to stop the electrical stimulation. Um, so that was really pretty interesting. So I did a quick search on PubMed, found 212 articles. And so I started reading through these articles. Uh, and though there were, uh, they were mostly about athletes, uh, there were a few with cerebral palsy, a few with stroke. And the stroke papers were really very interesting because they uh, were doing this five and ten years after the stroke, did e-stem, and began to get some recovery of function, which made me wonder, could I get some recovery of function using e-stem? Uh, and I would eventually uh, call my physical therapist and uh, get a test session uh, later that summer. And so I started doing some e-stem uh, in clinic. Um, about that same time, I, in one of my internet searches, came across this organization, the Institute for Functional Medicine, and I'm reading through it, uh, Management of Complex Chronic Diseases, and I'm thinking, well, this looks interesting. I'm looking over the faculty, and they seem well-trained, and then I'm looking uh, at their educational offerings, and they have this course, Neuroprotection, a Functional Medicine Approach for Common and Uncommon Neurologic Syndromes, uh, and I order that. Uh, and I get it, and I began going through the PowerPoints and uh, listening to the uh, lectures. And, and mind you, David, this is when I'm still struggling with some brain fog. Uh, so my kids are laughing at me going, Mom, you've looked at that slide. Uh, you've listened to it five times. Yes, I know. Uh, this is a lot of yeah, chemistry I'm having to rethink about again. Um, so it took me... Um, Oh, uh, maybe a, a month and a half to get through all of that. And I had a longer list of uh, supplements uh, that I added. Uh, and I'm doing the e-stem. And I feel like, you know, I'm beginning to sit up a little bit more easily. I'm not having to be as far back in my zero-gravity chair when I'm having supper. Um, and then, let's see, uh, it was in November that I had this other big epiphany, which I'm sure will resonate with you, David, is that, you know, because now I've got 20 different vitamins and supplements that I'm taking. I thought, I wonder where they're in the food supply. I should get this stuff from the food. Uh, so I asked the uh, dietitian uh, that I work with, and she says, well, you know, um, I, I don't know, I really can't help you. So then I go over to the uh, health science library, uh, and talk to the librarians, and we're looking at some books, and now I'm not really finding a good resource. And then I go back to uh, the University of Google, 
uh, and I start doing internet searches. And uh, over the next month, I create a list of foodstuffs that I should be stressing. So at the very end of December, and uh, it really began December 26th of 2007, I uh, reorganized my diet. It's still a paleo principle diet. Uh, so it's still no grain, no legumes, no dairy. But now I'm really focusing on what to eat instead of what not to eat. Uh, and the first thing I noticed is that my mind is clear. Uh, and I'm having a little bit more energy. Fatigue is not as bad. And then pretty soon it's the end, you know, about January 20th when I have to go over and start seeing patients in the traumatic brain injury clinic. And so the first day in clinic, I'm just watching the physical medicine uh, doc uh, show me what he does. And at the end of clinic, I'm thinking, you know, I don't feel too bad. Um, because I had to sit up in a regular chair all day. I, mm -hmm. I couldn't be in my zero grab. So I thought, wow, that was pretty interesting. And then I went back the next day and and I was not exhausted. Wow. And at the end of the week, it was apparent that I probably could do this clinic. It was not going to be um, a huge problem. So, uh, you know, the real emphasis here is that you targeted and you continue to target and you write about uh, targeting energy production, basically. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as an extension, I think it's fair to uh, indicate that this mitochondrial issue, this energy issue, is really rampant through our most pervasive uh, chronic degenerative disorders and even some infectious issues like chronic Lyme disease. I mean, uh, you're seeing, I'm sure, patients with fibromyalgia respond to your program. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've since created a therapeutic lifestyle clinic, uh, and we see people with uh, uh, a whole host of problems. Uh, I do the medical symptoms questionnaire, and severe fatigue is the, like, most common problem uh, that people have. Uh, brain fog being the second most common problem. Yeah, there are so many issues that we see in which people indicate brain fog, generalized fatigue, uh, malaise, uh, soft tissue pain. It's not just the chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, but it seems to be generally the end point of any of these diseases that are characterized by mitochondrial embarrassment. Yes, yes. So ultimately, uh, you put together the Walls Protocol, and I actually uh, talked about it in the introduction. And uh, you've had great success with, with the book. And yeah. uh, what you're doing in the book is really giving people in, uh, instruction step by step in terms of uh, how they take this knowledge that you've uh, stumbled upon, uh, not, not easily stumbled upon, worked really diligently to find. Yeah. Um, and now you're actually implementing this protocol in dealing with a variety of issues, aren't you? Yeah. You know, uh, what's really fascinating is uh, when I first got transformed uh, and it changed how I understood disease and health. And of course it would change uh, the way I practice medicine and primary care. And then traumatic brain injury clinic, I'm talking to these vets about B vitamins and fish oil and eating lots of vegetables uh, and uh, giving up grain. Uh, my colleagues thought, you know, this was uh, bizarre and they're complaining to the chief of staff. So I get warned for, 
uh, what they thought was unorthodox, not oh, science-based uh, behavior. <laughs> um, and so uh, my chief of staff and I had to have several conversations. I took uh, uh, 85 papers down to his office and uh, went over them with him. And he would have eventually uh, become very supportive. Uh, and within five years, the chief of medicine came to me and said, you know, Terry, we'd like to take you out of primary care and we'd like to create a clinic where you can do medicine the way you want to do it. Oh my uh, and so it took us a year to get through all of that, but I've now had the Therapeutic Lifestyle Clinic for uh, two years uh, and we've had continued success, continued growth. Uh, and the uh, hospital director invited me to create a proposal to expand the clinic, train more providers. So in your book, uh, you made some comments that vegetarianism may not be an ideal diet. Can you tell us why? Sure. Uh, so uh, vegetarians uh, have uh, a, a lot of potential problems. Uh, one is the uh, carbohydrate heavy nature of the diet. Uh, they'll have a lot of grains, a lot of legumes. The grains and legumes can have a lot of phytates and lectins which in the genetically vulnerable person uh, increases um, the risk of having a very severe immune response, increasing the risk of an autoimmune disorders, uh, certainly uh, adding to more insulin uh, and uh, probably a greater risk of earlier cognitive decline. Uh, the phytates can bind minerals, leading to some mineral deficiencies. Uh, many of our grains and legumes are grown with um, a lot of Roundup exposure. Uh, and the Roundup is a, uh, uh, makes the binding of minerals uh, even worse. Uh, so that's one big problem. Another big problem is the uh, uh, marked decreased intake in vitamin B12. Uh, and uh, there's a much higher rate of B12 deficiency in vegetarians uh, and in vegans. Uh, most physicians uh, will think, uh, A, won't, won't think about it, may only measure the B12, it may require uh, severely low B12s when they could have been uh, looking at a more functional assessment uh, to make sure they had sufficient reserve or better yet, measuring their homocysteine uh, and knowing that they have a uh, good uh, B vitamin metabolism. Yeah. And then finally, uh, not enough protein and probably not enough omega-3 fats. Uh, because you're getting those from fish oil, which are not vegetarian. Correct. Uh, that said, you know, we do see that there are sources of DHA uh, that are algae-derived, so they would qualify. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, MS is a prototypic autoimmune condition, and as such, a lot of the research is really focusing on the gut and permeability of the gut and challenges to the immune system because of this uh, permeability issue. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and as you mentioned in your book, um, you find great applicability of your program for other autoimmune conditions. Oh, you know, absolutely. Um, so mixed connective tissue disease, scleroderma, Sjogren's, uh, myasthenia gravis, RA, lupus, uh, all of those have done very, very well uh, on our protocol. Plus, really, you know, I hear really from... really common problems these days, these autoimmune conditions, aren't they? Uh, very common. And we see our children at younger and younger ages getting very serious autoimmune problems. And allergic issues, hyperimmune issues as well. Um, Dr. Absolutely. Walls, if people want to follow you, get more information, where should they go? 
Um, so I'd have them go to my website, uh, terrywalls.com. So that's T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. They can follow me on Facebook, Terry Walls, MD. Uh, they can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Terry Walls, one word. Great. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. And more so, I want to say thank you for all the great work that you're doing and um, for being a can bit I of put a disruptor. A, I think that's... Uh, one more thing. Sure, sure. Take uh, time. We're, we have a new clinical trial going on, and we're comparing the Swank diet to the Walls diet, and we are recruiting people. Um, well, so, I will, so people can, again, we're going we'll, we're gonna to post the website. Yeah. And uh, just, I'll get you that info. Yeah, for um, individuals who are, may have MS, uh, the Swank diet was really the prototypic uh, first uh, interventional type of approach diet-wise for uh, treating uh, MS uh, from a, a long, long time ago. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to put my nickel down that I think the Walls program is going to be far superior. I mean, you know, the Swank diet basically didn't uh, incorporate any uh, supplement. Uh, or other lifestyle issues. I mean, I think, you know, here's a study that was really a geographic observational uh, report that went into the development of the diet. But I think now that we mechanistically understand autoimmunity better, the microbiome, the the role of mitochondria, I think you are really, really at the forefront, the top of your game. And again, I I was about to say that um, Thanks for being a, a bit of a disruptor. Look how, how much further you, you move the ball down the field. It's really great. Oh, it's very exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's very exciting. You know, even the MS Society, um, after my book came out, had to deal with all of the chatter in cyberspace uh, about uh, the Walsh diet, the Walsh protocol, a paleo diet, that they called uh, a wellness meeting uh, where they had to reevaluate programming on diet and lifestyle. Uh, and have made diet and lifestyle research a research priority. Uh, so all, all of the voices that you're igniting, I'm igniting, is changing the face of research now in the neurology world. That's great, you know, uh, because what you're doing is challenging the status quo. I always like the quote from Ronald Reagan who said that status quo is a Latin term for the mess we're in. And uh, we have to challenge that. And uh, yeah. it's disruptors like yourself who help move the ball forward. We're not always right, but at least uh, we're there to challenge the status quo. And I think that's really very, very important. It is very exciting. Great. It is very exciting. Well, I hope to see you soon. And I'm sure that I will. And uh, I enjoyed seeing you uh, recently at the American College of Nutrition. Um, so we'll talk soon. And thanks for your time. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye now. Bye, Terry. Well, that was a real uh, interesting experience, wasn't it? To learn uh, what Dr. Walls has uh, experienced in her own life, how she then wrote about it, and how she now uh, utilizes these discoveries in the actual clinical practice of medicine uh, with terrific results. And again, uh, this is her book called The Walls Protocol, uh, available everywhere. I would really encourage you to get this book and read it. A lot of great health information. Hope you enjoyed today's interview. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter.